Uh, <clears throat> if you've if you've ever been to Edinburgh Zoo, which I imagine quite a lot of you have, you'll have found yourself at some point in the wee beasties section. And for those of you of a non-Scottish dialect, that's small insects. Um, and it's got all kinds of creatures, kind of blue poisonous frogs, uh, these giant African snails, and these technicolor tropical fish. Um, but I found myself in this section really struggling to find this one creature. Um, I was sure that there wasn't anything in this particular tank, but they assured me that there was. Um, and it's this thing called a pygmy chameleon. Not only the, the, the picture will show you what it is. Uh, not only was it small, but actually it was a master of disguise. So against the lush green background of its cage, it was almost invisible. Uh, and it got me thinking actually about people uh, and the way in which we tend to want to blend in with one another, to follow a crowd, and particularly uh, in our day and age, but I'm sure it's been the case for all of human history. Um, <clears throat> the pressure to conform in this culture is strong. Uh, and if you just want to test that, try and go against uh, the common teaching on things such as uh, sex and marriage and gender, and you'll soon find yourself against the tide. Um, uh, if you're a Christian here today, uh, then we'll actually see that by definition, a Christian must be distinctive. So a chameleon Christian is actually a, a contradiction. Um, we're going to look at a teaching from, as I mentioned, the reading earlier from Philippians 2. So we're going we're gonna to jump straight into this, into this book. Um, so I just want to give you a little bit of background uh, for those of you that might not be familiar uh, with the book. So it's uh, from uh, Paul in prison. Paul himself actually planted this church uh, at the end of his second uh, missionary journey around 50 AD, somewhere around there. And you can actually read about that in Acts, 5, uh, Acts 16. Um, uh, Paul has a deep affection for the people here, um, and so actually it's with love in his heart that he writes from uh, a prison cell in Rome. And it's to Philippi, uh, which is in modern-day Greece. Uh, the church at Philippi is around about 10 years old now. Uh, it's full of a mixed bunch, uh, a slave girl, uh, a Roman uh, guard, and a rich businesswoman were some of the first members of the church. Um, it's an important city, Philippi. Um, lots of retired soldiers would go there. Um, it kind of had special status in the Roman Empire, um, so kind of tax haven, as it were. And it's strategically situated as well um, on a popular road connecting uh, Asia Minor and Europe. So it was commercially and socially uh, influential. Uh, and as a culture, Philippi uh, was committed to emperor worship, uh, that was where they would burn incense and treat the emperor, Caesar, as a god, um, as well as worshipping many other pagan gods. So allegiance to Christ alone uh, would have been quite difficult. Uh, and the letter, the book of Philippians, uh, why was it written? Well, it was written for a variety of reasons, but the one main thrust uh, Paul wanted to get across to the Philippians is about the gospel and their partnership within the gospel. So that's the backdrop. Uh, Paul is writing to this church, set in a pagan nation, uh, thinking and reminding, th reminding them of their gospel partnership and actually calling them to shine uh, among their culture like stars in the night sky. And actually the message here uh, today on the 21st of October um, in pagan Scotland, in a land littered with idols, is actually the same. Uh, how do we remain distinct in a place where affirming Jesus is the only way is laughed at and in a place where um, affirming Christian ethics on uh, sex and marriage is uh, at best crazy uh, and at worst evil, how do we shine like stars 
So I've got two points today, and the first point uh, is slightly longer than the second. So first point, to work out. This is the gospel displayed. Uh, Have a look at verse 12 with me. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, that, that therefore uh, just points us back to uh, uh, verse, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, the humility and the sacrifice of Christ that Paul describes. Um, he's saying, in light of that, therefore, continue to obey. See, Paul's reminding the church, he's reminding the Philippians in the way in which they've obeyed already. It's already dotted throughout the first two chapters. Um, the Philippians have been partnering with Paul in the gospel from the very first day, chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, They were obedient as they prayed for Paul in his commission of the gospel, uh, chapter 1, verse 19. And they also uh, contended, they were obedient as they contended and suffered for the gospel, chapter 1, verse 30. So Paul's reminding uh, them of their obedience. And then in uh, characteristically Pauline style, uh, he says, Continue, continue to do this. Yes, you've done this, but now continue to do so. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that, and that work out there, uh, it's a verb, and it can actually be translated either to carry out or to perform or to accomplish. So we're, we're to perform our salvation, we're to kind of outwork it. We work out what God has already worked And I think the the New Living Translation is quite helpful here as it renders it. Um, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. So I just want to, an aside here, we do not work for our salvation. There's no works that we can bring to God that will grant us salvation, that will grant us eternal life. That has been uh, secured by Christ in his obedient life, in his death on the cross. Justice was satisfied there. However, we do work out our salvation. So uh, this analogy, I I broke my leg last year and I had pins and plates uh, put into it. And it was fixed in a cast for about eight weeks. So my foot had kind of set in place. If any of you have broken a bone before, you know exactly what I mean. And the physio said that every day I needed to work out the joints and the tendons and the muscles. So the surgery had actually already fixed my my bones in place with the metal, but it was down to me to exercise and to work out in order to strengthen my leg. And in the same way that our salvation past tense is fixed, it's justified by uh, by faith in Christ, by his shed blood on the cross. But our salvation present tense, our sanctification, our becoming more like Jesus as individuals and as a corporate body needs to be worked out. Okay, so what does this look like for the Philippian church? Well, that working out there that Paul's talking about, the continue to work out your salvation, is directly connected to the obedience that he talked about at the beginning of verse 12. As you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue, continue to work out your salvation. So they're to obey the teaching and the life of Paul, which is modeled on the teaching and the life of Christ. So continue praying for me, Paul would say. Continue evangelizing uh, your nation. Continue evangelizing Philippi. Uh, Continue living distinct lives in the culture that you've been called to and not being ashamed of my message or the message of Christ. 
You see, this passage is about how the Philippians can shine among the pagan nation. It's, as we heard about this morning, reflecting God's glory among the nations. It's to reach them. And this was Paul's big, big desire to, to, for the Philippian church to reach the surrounding nations, for them to be in glory with him as they sing praises to their king and they've saved as many people uh, as humanly possible. And this is done in the pattern of, verses, uh, of chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, in humility, reaching out to others and serving them as a community. Paul even sandwiches this portion of the letter between uh, two great individual examples of humble obedience. The prime example, obviously, is of Christ in chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. The ultimate sacrifice, the, the ultimate humility of God taking on human flesh to the point of death. But the second example, he gives a, a Timothy and Epaphroditus. Um, I mean, talk about considering others more. Epaphroditus was a man who was at the point of death and yet he was more concerned for the Philippians because he was worried that they were concerned for him rather than his own life. I mean, that's got to be a challenge. At the point of death, Epaphroditus is more concerned about the Philippian church. I struggle to care about others more when I'm like really hungry, let alone when I'm at the point of death. Um, but this is gospel transformation. Uh, Epaphroditus, Timothy, Paul in the pattern of their master. So, I mean, just think, as a community, what, what way do we fail to pattern our master? What ways do we care more about ourselves than others? Because this is a corporate and an individual uh, uh, call to work out our salvation. It's connected to our obedience uh, in the pattern of humility. Our lives um, as uh, believers in Jesus, as those that profess the name of Christ, should be marked by an increasing desire to obey God's word and to love and to serve his people. Maybe ask yourself, is there an area in my life in which I struggle to obey God in this regard? Even though his teaching is very, very clear. Do we shy away from opportunities to serve in the church here, um, here at Charlotte Chapel, even though that we know there are needs, and we also know that we actually have capacity and time, do we shy away from those, those opportunities? Maybe it could be, are you failing to obey because you, you don't share your faith? You know, you know the message of the gospel, and yet you often pass by on clear opportunities that God has given you to proclaim and testify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could we be ashamed of the teaching of Jesus and of Paul regarding him being the only way or uh, scared of the questions that we might face regarding marriage, sexuality, uh, all those many things that we, that we fear? And here, no doubt, the Philippians too were under enormous pressure to conform, fear of the, the Philippian population for sharing this crucified and resurrected Messiah. That's possibly one reason uh, Paul connects this fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, reminding them that actually uh, it, it's more that we need to fear God more than we fear human beings. We need to let the fear of him, that healthy reverence for almighty God, determine our acts of service and our evangelistic situations, not the fear of man. I need particular help with this. Um, so let's encourage each other. You know, let's, let's uh, remind one another um, uh, that God is at work within us. Let's um, communicate to one another as we decide to invite people to church so that we can pray for them. 
You know, let's encourage you, maybe ask, invite somebody to church, maybe uh, ask them if they want to read the Bible with you or hand them a Gospel of Mark or uh, we have a discipleship explored uh, up and coming. Maybe you could invite them to that. And maybe your challenge is to f- find a new way to serve God here. If you consider Charlotte Chapel your family, um, then you could approach me after the service or find one of the elders or one of the staff team or even if you want to email into the office, uh, I'm pretty sure we could find somewhere for you to serve and somewhere for you to glorify God and show your gifts uh, as you serve his people and seek to reach out to this community. And for those of us that already serve and share our faith, just in case we wanted to take some credit for our obedience and for our success, uh, Paul places verse 13 in the way. A great gospel reality from the Apostle Paul. It's God who works in us to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul reminds the Philippians that it is him, that it is God working in them anyway. Okay, so how else do we work out our salvation? What are the challenges is Paul giving to the Philippian church? Look at verse 14 with me. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So Paul's writing this letter knowing full well that this church faces struggles inside and outside. So outside they'll have persecution for identifying with Christ as as the only way. And inside, uh, it seems Paul mentions at the end of the book that there's clearly some kind of strong disagreement uh, uh, within the church. Uh, Euodia and Sinchi, uh, he calls them to to, uh, reconcile. So even though there's pressures from outside and pressures from in, this church is being warned not to grumble or argue. And this text here, it reminds me of when the Israelites grumbled against God and against his servant Moses. Uh, And you can actually read about that in Exodus 16, verses 7 to 12, or throughout Numbers as well. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, grumbling's not that bad, is it? Well, actually it is, and we are specifically forbidden to do it. The Bible is littered with implicit and explicit examples um, of, uh, and commands for us not to grumble. And they're on the board there. Um, <clears throat> I used to work in Aldi, and one of my colleagues, um, after serving a customer, would say, oh, there goes another black hole. And I was like, what do you mean? He said he felt so drained after talking to some of these grumblers that even though they were at his till for three minutes, because Aldi served pretty quick, he felt so drained because of all the grumbling that this person had done. And I, I just wonder how many of our own conversations are full of grumbling or moaning or dissatisfied comments. You know, when we meet up with our friends, uh, non-Christian friends and family, with, uh, with, with brothers and sisters here, I wonder how many of our words are, are gripes and moans and grumbles about life situations. You see, what comes out of our mouths says a lot about what is in our hearts. And that's scary, I think so anyway. Um, I mean, how often do we complain but never actually seek to do anything about that complaint? In church too, how quick we're um, able to express complaints about music style or choice or preaching style or programs or you know, uh, some big changes that we might be facing. Imagine your life is like a tally chart. This is something I don't want to imagine. And every one point you get for every grumble and moan that you make and every one point for something that you rejoice in and that you praise in. I would not like to see my tally chart after this week when my car broke down in the middle of my holiday, (laughs) full of grumbles. This is why we need the Lord's grace. The Lord's really challenged me in preparing this. 
Now, there are genuine struggles in this fallen world, major health implications, bereavements, and I'm not trying to discredit any of that at all. There's genuine suffering. But here we're talking about grumbling of life situations. And one thing's for sure, there are no lights shining within the black hole of Christian grumbling. No way. And we don't actually need to grumble, though, because if you're trusting in Christ, if you've put your faith in the Messiah, in the risen Savior, then actually we are adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. See, one of the glories of the Christian life is that we're actually called to be what we already are, children of God. It's not like a mantra that we tell ourselves. You know one of those self-help therapy tapes? You know, you will be thin. You will stop smoking. It's not one of those things. No, we are, verse 15, we are blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. You see, that's what Paul's telling the Philippians. It's one of Paul's already but not yet situations. Because of the righteousness of Christ, the Philippians are forgiven, and so are we. Because of his death on the cross and his resurrection brings the forgiveness. So we're to live out what it means to be forgiven sons and daughters of the Most High God, blameless and pure children of God. We're to work out the salvation that God has already worked in. What does this look like? Well, the way that the Philippians are to be blameless and pure is to do all things without grumbling or arguing. And there's no condition. We love to add conditions, don't we? But, or what about, or even in this situation? No, do everything without grumbling. Do all things without grumbling. That's how they shine. But it's actually more than that. It's more than just stopping the negative. It's more than just stopping grumbling. We actually need to replace that grumbling with a childlike trust and a love for God, recognizing the situation and the circumstance that he's called us to. And Paul puts it this way throughout the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always, even at the end of our passage. Even if Paul's being treated as a sacrifice, you know, he's saying rejoice and rejoice with me. Part of verse 15 is actually taken from Daniel 7, the blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Maybe we, just, uh, we need to reflect on the Lord's blessings to us personally and corporately. Think about the hope of one day, uh, as Adam was saying this morning, that we will truly, perfectly reflect the glory of God as we uh, worship him in eternity. But even now, the new birth that we've received, if we're uh, trusting in Jesus... Um, the family that we have, many of us have been blessed with a wonderful earthly family, but also our spiritual family here at the chapel and across the globe. We've been granted a church where the gospel is preached faithfully week in and week out. We've been blessed with the knowledge of a sovereign God who is in control of all situations. Maybe we should meditate on these truths uh, and they will start to put many of our life situations really into perspective. Even your car breaking down and it costing you money and all those things. Meditate on the reality of God's grace through his son and his gift that he's given to the church. And it's not like a blind, naive, stick your head in the sand either, but actually it's a willing trust that our father genuinely knows best and that my situation's not here by accident. And my situation is nothing compared to what some of you are going through either, and yet we're still called to rejoice and to not grumble. Kind of what we forget is that complaining and grumbling often um, about our work situation or marriage or our children 
or our health is essentially kind of saying that we're not happy with the way that the Lord is running his universe, maybe even suggesting that we could do a better job. And this was the primary issue with the Israelites, a mistrust of God and his plan. So let's encourage one another and remind ourselves of how great a salvation we have. We sang about it just before I came up to preach and how magnificent a calling that we've been called to and how majestic and wise a God we belong to. He knows what he's doing. And we need each other to, to, to speak gospel reality to one another. We need to be opening God's word and to be meditating on it and letting the truths of it sink deep into our heart and transform us. And what a contrast that will be in this world of negativity, in this world of moaning and grumbling and griping and fearing of Brexit and all these other things. There could be a community of those that trust, with a childlike trust in their father, that he knows best And that is how we shine. We want to shine in Edinburgh. Paul wanted the Philippians to shine in Philippi. We want to shine in Edinburgh or wherever the Lord calls us to. And as we do that, this is my second point, uh, the message that we hold out will shine as well. Our lives will embody the message that we proclaim. Paul Tripp always talks about incarnational living. You know, the message that we hold out is for eternal life. And so our lives must reflect that too. Look at verse 16 with me. Paul connects the, uh, the Philippians working out with the message that they're working out. He says, as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. There's some slight debate as to what this verb is. Um, it can either mean hold out or hold to. If you've got a different translation, you may, you may have hold to. Either way, the context helps clarify the meaning. The original verb of that, that hold to or hold out the word of life kind of can be, um, uh, one writer says, it's like a parent offering a cup to the lips of a child. It's the parent doing something that the child can't do for themselves. And the, uh, the Good News translation is really helpful here. It says, as you offer them the message of life, as you offer out, as the Philippines offer out the message of life, See, the nation of Philippi was to some seen as this shining jewel in the Roman Empire. Uh, Special tax exemptions, uh, full of retired Roman centurions, so wealthy and successful, full of life. You know, what, what could they need possibly? But the truth is the real treasure, the real life, was found among the Jesus community living distinct, grumble free lives, even under persecution. The diamonds were actually among this community who were holding out the truth of their risen Savior and the hope that the, uh, that the nation would have in him. And Edinburgh, too, it seem, seemed to many as a vibrant city full of life. And in some ways it is. But actually the real life is here. Here in Charlotte Chapel, among this Jesus-worshipping community, amongst the other Jesus-worshipping Jesus communities that are across this city, And by holding out the word of life, the Philippian church would provide life in a culture of death. As a father offers a drink to his son, provides sustenance, so the Philippians would provide sustenance to a dying culture. And as Charlotte Chapel, as we as individuals hold out the gospel to Edinburgh, we bring life where there is only death. So this means preaching the gospel. This means inviting friends to church or to Christianity Explored. Or maybe doing what Liam's been talking about in his previous discipleship uh, sermons, trying to engage somebody new in order to uh, make intentional gospel conversations. 
And as we preach the gospel, we must do it, as the Philippians did, against the backdrop of the warning of a coming judgment. As the Philippians called their culture to repentance, pointing them towards the hope only found in Christ, it was the backdrop of the coming judgment of God's wrath that made their news truly good news. If you've ever bought yourself um, a, a diamond, if you, uh, maybe Cornell, as you were choosing your diamond ring, uh, maybe you went into a jeweler's, and they can show you a number of different diamonds, uh, but it's not until they get the kind of the black felt and they lay the diamonds out on that that it really shines with brilliance. And actually, as we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the freedom from hell and, and our sin, it must be against the backdrop of God's holy and righteous judgment on sin, his impending judgment. Um, be encouraged if you're a, a, a brother or a sister, if you're a child of God, um, <clears throat> because for those that are trusting in his son, the judgment has passed. Actually, our sins have been taken away by another. Uh, uh, Jesus says in John 5, 24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. One of the main concerns that Christians experience is a, is a fear of judgment. Uh, but we do not need to fear. These are Jesus' words. So that we'll face a day where we give an account for the works that we've done. Um, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that. But this will be a blessed time where we'll uh, receive rewards of the good stewards of what God has given us. What a relief. We're not going to be judged. <clears throat> but actually, there's hope and freedom. And that's what we want to point other people towards, the hope and the freedom from the coming judgment found only in Christ alone. There is no other name given to men by which they must be saved other than Jesus Christ alone. And that's why Paul can say, and then uh, it's verse 17, and then I will be able to boast on the day in Christ that I did not uh, run or labor in vain. Sorry, that's 16b. Uh, that I did not run or labor in vain. He's reminding them, he's reminding the Philippians, Paul is that his boast isn't in his achievements, but it's actually in their salvation and the reality that they make it to the end. And Paul's vision is not just for the Philippians, though. It's wider. His hope is that they bring others. This is a, a, an evangelistic uh, kind of push. The whole point of shining is so that others in Philippi can see the glory of God. Paul's passion is that others will be with them on that day of Christ, singing to their glorified and risen Savior. And that's why Paul can say in verse 17, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. And so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's saying it's worth it. Paul is so confident that he sees his life as a mere, as a mere accompanying sacrifice. Uh, this drink offering points back to the Old Testament. Um, uh, the drink offering, offering would accompany uh, a larger sacrifice, so it would kind of be a, a complementary uh, sacrifice to it. Um, it would be relative to the size of the offering. So in a way here, Paul is kind of saying, even if my life, my ministry, my suffering, if it's only acting as a drink offering to the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, Philippians, then I'll rejoice. And our, our sacrifice, like the Philippians, it's not an animal on the altar, but actually it's our obedience, our faith and our service to the king. So whatever it is that you do for the kingdom, 
if it's done to the glory and honor of Christ, if it's done in obedience, then it's worth rejoicing over for it's pleasing to God. So whether you welcome visitors or clean the church or print the programs or preach the sermon or teach the children or play the music or work the AV, whatever you do, as long as we consider one another of more worth, clothing ourselves with humility as we exalt Jesus as the risen Lord, holding out the word of life to others, our service and our sacrifice is pleasing to God and he will recognize us and reward us on the day when he visits us. Oh, how we long to hear those words. Come in, good and faithful servant. So until that day, let us work out our salvation uh, salvation by rejoicing rather than grumbling and by holding out the word of life to this dying world and encouraging one another to reach out for the gospel. That is how we shine. That is how our God is glorified. Please join me in prayer.